Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Adel Marcy Unplugged. I'm your host with the most, as always, Adel Marcy, and today I've got the distinct pleasure of having an entrepreneur after my own heart, uh, Mr. Ryan Nichols. He's fucking awesome. I, I know as well a lot, but like this guy is genuinely like a real true badass. I mean, he's been an entrepreneur since what? How old were you when you started being an entrepreneur? Like, it was really uh, young. I mean, if you count, you know, selling bubblegum at school back in the day, but uh, uh, doing this myself with Wholesale Universal, my own company, since July 27, 2015. So right as soon as we got out of the Marine Corps, I, I went right into uh, being an entrepreneur and started working for myself. Yeah, he just stole my next punchline to say that he's, you know, in the, he's an ex-Marine, which, you know, makes him way, way cooler than me. Damn it. I'm kidding. <laughs> All right, guys, just quick heads up on sponsor run. As always, I appreciate the um, shares, the comments, the ratings on iTunes. They actually help out the show. But today we're sponsored by WholesaleUniversePage.com and AdelAmarcy.com, where you guys can go check out the uh, previous episodes of what we have going on and of course you can connect with ryan through his page as well which is wholesale page.com check him out so dude just real quick just right out of the jump start like so you went straight out of the marine corps and then you just started this entire company right so uh right out of the marine corps man i was uh i was plumbing so my father-in-law was a master plumber for a company down in houston brother-in-law was a uh, licensed plumber there as well and I was like, okay, I need to jump right in. I, we already had, you know, one child, and I was like, I've got bills. I've got to go ahead and start making some money. So we got out, and uh, I plumbed for three months, and I was underneath the house. Uh, and my brother-in-law was working the job with me, and he's like, hey man, you might want to put your mask on. And I was like, no, I don't need to put my mask on. You know, he's like, you might want to put your mask on. And uh, I didn't do it, and I was uh, hitting this pipe, hitting this pipe with a hammer, and all of a sudden, and I didn't realize, I didn't think about it, but it was an abandoned house. It had been abandoned. Uh, looked like. A quite a long time and i hit this pipe and shit water just went oh. all in my, my mouth man and oh. uh yeah and so that was the last day that i plumped and uh, i came oh. out of that pool he was laughing he's like i told you you should have put your uh, your mask on and i didn't put the mask on man but it was my fault i came out of there i was like i'm not doing plumbing anymore so i knew about e-commerce we've been selling on e-commerce before and i was like you know what like i would rather work for myself and take my own chances in this world than to have to deal with something like this. And so that's where my journey, you know, being an entrepreneur, starting my own business or going towards that path in sales started. <laughs> it was underneath the house, under an abandoned house one day. <laughs> oh man, that is like, if there's ever an origin story that I've ever had by someone else, it's like, what happened to you? I got out of prison, I got out of this. I was in the Marine Corps, that's awesome. So what really kicked you off as a pathway of this? Dude, I accidentally hit a pipe and shit water hit me in the mouth. I'm never doing that again. Okay, yeah, you you See, win, the, yeah. you win. Yeah, the uh, the whole Kevin Hart, he's like, you got a bum bump on your lip. Like that's what I thought I was gonna have, man. It was it was horrible. So I came out of there and I knew that that just wasn't what I wanted to do with my life. So we went a different direction and I just ran towards that different direction. That's pretty badass. I love that. So kind of jumping out there, something I do want to highlight very quickly because a lot of people don't really realize this, and something that when I read your bio that um, Courtney sent to me. I immediately, I think my response back was hell yes or yes please or something like that. I think that was like the first thing I said to her. It was a two word response. I didn't even read the rest of the message. Literally the whole idea, the fact that during Hurricane Harvey, you essentially went out there and you were just like helping people. You're like, nope, we're helping people, supplying, making sure communities stand together and helping people keep afloat, pun intended. But that's what I'm, that right there, I was just like, I want to talk about that, if that's okay to talk about. Like, Absolutely. What was Absolutely. it yes. that actually made you jump out then? Go for it. All right, so we moved to Dallas 
seven to eight days before Hurricane Harvey hit. So right as we were taking our stuff and going to Dallas, the very important stuff is we did a quick move uh, for business reasons. So we start heading up there that morning, and they're like, hey, there's this hurricane off in the Gulf of Mexico coming up, and they're like showing the trajectory. And I was like, well, you know, glad we're leaving Houston, you know. So that was my first thought because I didn't – don't really think that a hurricane's going to hit the way that it did yeah. and uh, we'd already had flooding issues to you know the last year and a half before hurricane harvey hit there had been two major floods in houston before harvey ever hit and uh, they were saying that these two floods that happened that they weren't supposed to even happen the way they did and i'm thinking well if if a flood two floods that was just a day and a half of raining did this to houston what is a hurricane going to do so uh, i told my wife and we agreed she was like look whatever happens i was like i'm not going down there i'm not going down there because i just know how i am um you know, when I swore and took an oath into the Marine Corps, uh, this was some of the things that we did that, you know, you talked about that you, you can't just live it for four years. It's something that you want to help people. And that's why I originally joined. I wanted to help people. Well, that's what we keep on doing afterwards. So I told myself I wasn't going to go back down there. And then Sunday night rolls around and they're like, hey, this thing is just sitting on top of Houston, sitting on top of South Texas. And I'm like, man, I've got staff members. We were trying to get in touch with staff members and couldn't get in touch with all of our staff. Uh, electricity was going out. They were just talking about, you know, uh, well, we, we knew neighborhoods down there that were flooding and the water was going into the roofs and they were releasing water, you know, at the dams at night. I was like, I got to go down there. So Monday opens up and I'm working with another gentleman in Dallas and uh, got to be, you know, at work that morning. So mess with my clients and then I go into the office. And as soon as I drive in, because I told Bonnie, I was like, I'm not going. As soon as I stepped out of the door, I'm like, you're a piece of shit for not going down there. Like, and that's how really how I felt. I was like, you, you've got people that... They have paid you money. You set up a business down there in that area, and they're they're like people have paid you money. And when you depended on it the most, they were there to support your business. And so now that they need somebody like you the most, because at that point, I mean, we're making eight or ten thousand dollars a month. Me and Bonnie together, like. I'm financially stable, so I should be the one to go down there and do some stuff like this. There's people down there that they're not financially stable. They live paycheck to paycheck. So if they're living paycheck to paycheck, they need help. They, they don't have the means to do this. So uh, I felt like a piece of shit. I, I drove into uh, where I worked, and as soon as I drove in, I turned around and drove back home. And I opened the door, and Bonnie's like, you're going to Houston. I know you are. So as soon as I came to the door, <laughs> she knew I was. I packed up my stuff. I called one of my buddies that was in Dallas. His name is Michael Unk. And I said, pack your stuff up. We're going down to Houston. He was like, thank God. I was like hoping somebody would go with me. So because he, he had asked me, and I told him no, that I had to get stuff done. So Michael Unk wanted to go with me down there to Houston. And uh, so we did, man. We went up to Academy. And uh, right then on the company car, I went and bought a boat. Uh, it was a 10-foot flat-bottom boat. And then we started hitting social media as hard as we could and uh, saying, hey, this is what we're doing. This is what we're going to be. And these are the supplies that we need. We found food, water, gas gas cans and a boat motor in the matter of two hours before we got from Dallas down into Houston all delivered to us on the way down there. Wow. And so by the time we got down there, all I had to do was buy a boat and hook it up to my truck. I had just bought my truck three weeks before. I'm like, I'm about to flood this brand new truck, you know, but we hooked it and went down to Houston. Uh, that 10, 10 foot flat bottom boat wound up saving over a hundred people and pulling out of the water. Damn. Uh, three other gentlemen. And uh, it was a wild four days. We stayed on there four days until one, we were just so tired of exhaustion that we couldn't basically move anymore. And then they had so much military presence down there after a while. The National Guard, you had the Marines that were down there, uh, the Navies that were down there, the Seabees that were down there, uh, the Cajun Navy that was down there. So there was so much going on there uh, at that point after four days that we knew, like, we just don't have the equipment that these guys have. Like, they're taking it over from here. So um, 
my dad still goes back and, and forth down there to Bider. There's still people living in tents after Hurricane Harvey. There are people that lived in tents after, uh, all the way through Christmas and through this winter that didn't have a house. That their house was completely flooded, gone away. So uh, that's what we did. And we went down there to Har- Harvey just to lend a helping hand. And uh, we knew that, that there was trouble in our basically at our back door, you know, in our backyard, and we needed to go down there and do something. So uh, we weren't able to do a lot. Like I said, we pulled 100 people with, with one, you know, 10-foot boat. So, Dude, that, that is fucking amazing. I mean, that is like, has not, I'm so happy that you actually have that giving back mentality in the sense of, I, I promised my wife I wouldn't do it, but the moment I saw it, I was like, yep, yeah, you know what, I'm sorry, honey, I gotta break this promise. And you're, like, your wife actually just looked at you and was like, I fucking know you, just go. And you're like, oh, well, I'm going. It's yeah, and so we, we talked about it for a few minutes, and it was like, you know, one of those things, like, be careful. And she was super worried the entire time, but it was one of those things at the same time. I was like, hey, as a Marine, even though you don't serve this country, you still do serve this country. So we got together with a couple of other veterans, and we went down there and just made it happen. Oh, hells yeah. I mean, I mean I'm mean, i not a Marine or a military man myself, but, like, I have so many friends that aren't, so many people I've actually worked with, and, like, my clients aren't. It's just really amazing to see that you have the camaraderie to go, you know what, dude? when the going gets tough we don't back down we just go in further and just go all right we're gonna help people out and see what we can do and like you said you were there long enough for like essentially you guys were the stabilizers the the initial like roots to basically help the national guard and all the other people come in and actually take over from you which is amazing funny funny story about that man uh i saw some of the worst things that i've ever seen down there during hurricane harvey i saw uh I guess you could almost say political games uh, almost during a hurricane. So you had it to where, and I understand to an extent, but the rescuers, us down there, um, were told that we couldn't go in the water past 5 p.m. every day. Now, that was as of Sunday night when we got down there. We, the hurricane didn't even pass until Tuesday, and then the water started rising after that and Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday for a crest. And even after that, it kept on rising. So on Sunday night when the hurricane was still there, still blowing through, we were told by local law enforcement, you can't go help people. And that really blew my mind um, because that's, you know, that's what we were there to do. So uh, to be told by people that, you know, especially by law enforcement that were clean, were not sweating, didn't weren't dirty at all. You can tell they hadn't got their hands dirty, but were telling us that we couldn't go save lives. When I was getting active on this phone right here, active text messages and phone calls um, from women, mothers uh, of two children saying, hey, I'm going into the attic. I need you to come help me. So that's what we started doing on the way down there was I hit all the social media pages in that area, all the buy, sell, and trade pages like Magnolia Buy, Sell, and Trade, Houston Buy, Sell, and Trade, the Woodlands Buy, Sell, and Trade, all these social media groups. Uh, and that's what really saved Houston, man. Social media saved Houston because we got on social media and people were like, hey, I'm in this house. I need somebody to come help me. Or I put my phone number out there and I was like, hey, me and my buddy were taking phone calls, text messages, whoever from this area, if you're calling us, we're picking up the phone. So we put our phone number out there and we started getting text messages, uh, phone numbers, everything, uh, calls coming through saying, hey, come get us. Well, you know, we're, we were told by law enforcement, hey, I don't care if somebody's down here drowning, you can't go help them. So what we did is we took to social media again, and I tagged the local law enforcement agencies that said you can't do this. I also tagged the mayor of Houston. I did a video that got 25,000 views in like wow. six hours, 
Next thing you know, that same night or early on to the next morning, the mayor changed the rule to where we could go out at night, but we had to have a law enforcement officer inside of the boat. So it was cool to see that maybe it wasn't me that did it, but I felt like me and others doing that had a say so in things changing. And we were able to go out and pull people all night long instead of just having to risk because they would tell you that if you were caught out in the water, they were going to arrest you for doing you know, for doing stuff to help. So it was good that we could use a social media influence like we had and we knew how to put out there in order to help people, you know, just just to go help people. And that's, and that's what we were really there for. That's fucking amazing. Just simply because you can see the power of social media and how it actually yeah. affects lives. I mean, a lot of people use social media, and I don't say incorrectly because I don't use it exactly in the best possible way. I mean, right now I'm starting to put it out there to really promote myself and help people out and with their businesses and shit. But at the same time, so few people actually realize the power of how you can actually turn around like a disaster and use social media to save fucking lives. And a it lot. does. I mean, so many people actually kind of like forget that's the power that you hold in your hands right now with a phone. You have the power yeah. to save a life. Now, something I kind of want to like jump off of there as well, like kind of talk a little bit more about businesses. You do something called Amazon FBA. Now, could you tell me a little bit more about that? Because I have no idea. Absolutely. So we've been selling on Amazon since uh, 2013, 2014 timeframe. All started out with eBay, but Amazon's just absolutely an easier way to go. So uh, you can just take your products, upload them into Amazon, and then send them to the Amazon FBA warehouses, which FBA stands for Fulfilled by Amazon. So Amazon has like 40 or 50, maybe even more of these warehouses that are around the United States right now. Uh, and they're huge. They're like anywhere between a quarter million square foot all the way up to half a million or a million square foot. Uh, they're huge. Okay, They employ uh, thousands of people at these FBA centers. And what it is is that sellers like me, that anything in the world that you create – or anything that has a UPC label on it. If I'm buying it as a wholesaler and I can scan it into Amazon and I'm not restricted from selling that brand or that category, then I can send it right into Amazon FBA. I list them at full retail price and let it sell at full retail price. So if you're a wholesaler, you know, or if you're buying wholesale at 20 to 30, maybe even 35% of retail and selling at 75, 85, 95, and 100% of retail, all while Amazon does all the customer service. So literally, I just upload the products and send it in. When the product sells, Amazon ships the product to the customer. If the customer has a question, Amazon handles you know the questions. If the customer wants a, you know a refund or has you know something that's going on, they deal with Amazon. All I have to do is purchase the products and get them into Amazon FBA and then it, I at least am going to see a 30 to 55% return per order and so will my clients. So uh, that's what we've been doing since July 27, 2015 for Wholesale Universe has just been pushing products uh, into Amazon FBA as quickly as we can or shipping them to our clients and letting our clients do it as quickly as they can too. That's incredible and that's something else I, I want everyone listening to this right now to really understand two things and I don't know if they would have heard it when you were speaking about it. But number one is the idea that you're actually giving back to other people by allowing your clients to actually do the same thing. Like you're basically, you've built the bridge and you're like, I'm not just going to cross the bridge on my own and tell you how to build your own. I was like, hey, dude, this bridge is like a super highway. I'm taking you with me. Come across with yeah. me. That's number one. And number two, how simple is that? That is like a million dollar idea if I've ever seen one of how Absolutely. to sort your shit out. I mean, okay. Uh, I don't have the capital. Well, I'm pretty sure you can figure that shit out quite easily. Sell a few things ahead of time and then fulfill them. But simultaneously, it's not that hard to actually decide. How much money would you reckon you'd need to get started, like on, on a so, basis? Uh, 
we had there's two ways at Wholesale Universe. You can have the product shipped to you for as low as a thousand dollars, okay, or you can have us upload it in directly into your Amazon account. Right now, that minimum is ten thousand. Uh, as of the end of this month, it's going to be a minimum of twenty five thousand, just because of the demand that we're seeing right now. Right, so course. the more you put it into, like I said, you're guaranteed a thirty to fifty five percent return on investment per order right now. So have people that are seeing over that. I'm just putting that as the minimum. Like that's at least what you're going to yeah. see. So these are brand name products directly from Macy's. Man, you're talking about Michael Kors, Coach, Gianni Bernini. Nine West, Ralph Lauren, guests. So shoes, clothing, bedding, handbags, anything you can think of, that's what we offer at Wholesale Universe. That's pretty fucking awesome. I love the idea of like how you guys are just basically, not only are you guys doing it yourself, but you become like a fulfillment for the fulfillments and creating wholesales because that's... Absolutely. That's just smart marketing. Guys, if you've ever wanted to look at that in a way, just fucking reach out to Ryan. I mean, clearly it's easy. Now, something I kind of want to go back to as well is your mindset because you're an ex-Marine and ex-Marines I know are tough as nails. It's like this... There's three types of people I actually consider the toughest mindsets of people of the highest class. In no particular order, it's entrepreneurs because entrepreneurs are fucking tough as shit because we have to deal with disappointment every day and get up and run and whatever it is. The second are wrestlers, like American Division One wrestlers, fighters, yeah. like MMA guys, jiu-jitsu guys. I consider them like the toughest motherfuckers out there just simply because wrestlers in particular – those dudes don't quit. They don't know how to quit. They just go hard, and that's how they go. Yeah, you have to. You're going to get beat up. Pretty much. And the third, I actually would say our military personnel, namely um, Navy SEALs, Marine Corp, and the British Royal Marines as well. Because the way I look at it is you guys are actually trained to like have a high tolerance of pain, understand community, give back, and essentially just like non-verbally communicate with each other and tell each other hey guys we're going to go do this and you have to be like all right cool let's create a pathway so everyone converges at once because one person out of place is like it's a failed mission more than anything else so something i wanted to ask you though what is something that you find that you bring over from the world of being an ex-marine to business like what is your mental toughness that's actually kept your folk like what is the idea that's the the one idea that's come to it yeah so i would say knowing how to communicate under chaos uh and that's really like what you get taught a lot you know it's when you're starting out a boot camp and you've got drill instructors running around and going crazy and you're still having to follow directions and follow commands you're having to do that and they're teaching you to do that because you know let's just say you go to war and, and rounds are flying over your head you still have to know how to communicate with that squad leader or somebody else within your platoon you know in order to hey let's send fire this direction or let's move this direction over here and you need to be doing that while being shot at well the same thing applies out to business okay when you got clients that are shooting at you you know shooting those messages at you or uh, you got somebody wanting you know a return or you're dealing with you know uh, a package that got shipped to the wrong place like you got to deal with chaos and chaos in business comes to you from multiple different angles so I feel like if you could learn how to uh, delegate and communicate within the chaos, okay, you have no choice but to be successful because there are so many people that refuse to do that, just absolutely refuse. Like I'm not going to live my life this way. That if you decide to take up and pick up that role and do it, and that's what we did here with Wholesale Universe. Like I didn't come up with this company. idea this was another man's company idea and another man's before him that they put it together and they tried to roll this thing well finally bonnie and i were like you know what we're gonna take it we're gonna do it the right way we're gonna communicate and work under chaos but it works and it pulls in a lot of cash flow and it makes a lot of money for not only ourselves but our clients as well so i think that in any business if you can figure out how to communicate under chaos how to move under chaos and how to just work under chaos and it be okay when you get to the times when it's not as chaotic man you really flourish then but 
anything in business is going to be chaotic at first, especially on the startup like us. We're trying to move a business from Houston all the way up to uh, to Longview right now. We're about 75 to 80 percent of the way there, minus us being moved ourselves. But it is completely chaotic. But if you can learn to work through that, it doesn't you know it doesn't mean that just because it's chaotic that it's bad and it's going to go bad. It just means you have to learn to work those kinks a little bit harder. So uh, I feel like that that'd be my biggest one, man, that I brought over is learning how to work through the chaos. That's amazing. Okay, so now you know what my next question is going to be, right? I do not, but I'm pretty sure I'm prepared for it. Okay, yeah. It's basically, so what would be your best tips to actually understand how to communicate through chaos? Because that's something that I've, like an idea and an example I'll give to the people right now is I was working with a client and I was the copywriter and strategist. We had a Facebook guy and we had the talent, which is the client. The problem was the Facebook ads guy would never communicate with me. Like I'd send him an email, tell him, hey, can you do this and get done? I wouldn't hear back from him. And then afterwards going, yeah, this isn't working. I was like, when did you know? It was like six days ago. I was like, I could have used that information. What's going on? So now I've had to like make sure that me and my uh, me and my partners constantly communicate with this client to make sure we're moving forward. But how, like, what would be some of your tips in order to actually communicate through chaos? Okay, so uh, communicating through the chaos, there doesn't always have to be chaos. So with stuff like that, uh, with you're dealing with, you start dealing with repetitive chaos because there, I feel like there's a difference between you know chaos and repetitive chaos. You know, because if you're somebody that, that causes repetitive chaos, you got to go, man. And uh, it, it's nothing personal. That's just business. So if you got somebody or even a client, and one thing that I found out is that there is no client, no matter how much they're spending, that's worth keeping them if they're repetitive chaos. And so what I would do is I would I would learn because you shouldn't deal with chaos multiple times in the same way. You should learn how to deal with it, work through it, and get it get it over with. Um, so working through it, man. One of the best ways that I learned is to just breathe. Okay, just just breathe. Uh, I had a, a guy, Christopher John Stubbs. Uh, it's one of my coaches that I would go out to, and I would go out to Utah, and he would you know sit with me for two or three days, and uh, we would do a lot of you know inner and self searching and do some medicine journeys and other stuff like that. But he was like, hey. You know, the ultimate thing in your life is you've got to learn to breathe because I get so like uptight and so tense and I'll find myself not breathing. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, you know, when when I learn how to breathe, that's the first thing that helps me just take that step back um, Two is I don't I look for repetitiveness. I look for uh, things that might be adding up if I see like. I keep on seeing an issue here. I keep on seeing this issue. I keep on seeing this issue enough times, I'm going to make it not an issue anymore. So uh, one of the things that we've figured out is I would rather go backwards a little bit than to keep going forwards the wrong way. You know, So if we've got to scale things back a little bit and pull in the reins a little bit in order to make sure that some of this chaos settles down, then we'll do so. Um, another thing in, in, when it comes to business, now this is different in personal life and business. When you're in business and you got a lot riding on it, you just have to do things. So uh, another thing. Thing. When there's a lot of chaos, sometimes that cause that means that you have to make a move right then. Yeah, a lot of times, like you've got time to sit back and make a decision. But one of the processes as being a business owner or being an entrepreneur is there do come times when you have to make the decision right then. And it's either go left or go right, and there is no going left and then cutting back over to the right later. You either go left or you go right. So uh, I think that knowing how to be a good decision maker within the chaos process uh, is what's going to get you ahead as well. Because if you can if you can have chaos going around and know like, hey, we got to make a split second decision. Let's go left or go right. If you can be a good decision making process uh, or have a good decision making process, then you're going to be able to work through that. So breathing, having a good decision making process. Don't let too many of the same 
repetitive things become repetitive chaos because if it is uh, one of the things that my my good mentor uh, and friend uh, here in Longview uh, his name is Kenneth Travis he owns a, a mortgage company and he was like hey man one of the biggest things you know that we do in business is we don't allow uh, you know like repetitive chaos to happen uh, you know get somebody in there if it's a good fit great if it's not like don't have somebody in there that's going to be causing you know repetitive chaos like get somebody else in there that wants that and build your team and work around your team you know so uh, I feel like in business man like you have to have a good team around you and if you do things work great if you don't you have to just put the people in there that work the correct way um, but that's one thing that I'm glad uh, that we have as well as a good team that you're not seeing all that chaos or if it is it's very minimal because they ask questions You've got it. Last thing, you've got to get people that communicate back with you. So you can want to communicate all day, but if your people don't communicate back with you, then it doesn't mean anything, you yep. know. Because like you said, you were trying to communicate, trying to communicate, trying to communicate. But if this guy isn't communicating, you know what? Maybe the money isn't worth that at that point to do business with that person. Yep. I'm gonna have to have somebody that communicates with me just as much as I do with them in order for this to work. So uh, those are my tips right there for for you know how to how to guide yourself through the chaos because it's gonna happen. You know, oh, you know that yeah. and I know that. Hells yeah, it's definitely one of those things. So, like, Ryan, you've literally dropped so much goddamn knowledge in, like, the shortest space of time that I'm like, goddamn, do I still, like, what else can we, like, <laughs> there's so much more we can cover, but I want to get him back on another show. I mean, if you want to do another show, I'd fucking love to have you back yeah, on. So, like, my favorite two questions to ask on the show, um, we're going to get to in a minute, but I do want to ask you this question in particular. It's kind of a bit of a left-field question, but I'll explain why. So what are your three favorite books? And there's a condition. So the first book is a nonfiction book. The second is a fiction book. And the third is a business book. So okay. out of those three, what are your three? Okay. So, and you'd be surprised. I don't really read books. And uh, I am surprised by that. Yeah. So I, I probably, the last book I read was probably in the Marine Corps because I was forced to read a book. And uh, I can never sit down. I always watch like audios or like well, if, I'm uh, an instructional type person. Well, I was going to say like, okay, let's, let's throw in audio books and instructional books and stuff like that, you know, like courses and stuff. Let's throw those in there as well. Okay. So uh, I would say uh, a fiction book. I like, uh, I read it back in high school. Man, what's, um... well, actually, you know what, for fiction book, let's change it. Let's go to videos. So it's a, it's a, it's a movie that you like. So that's for fiction. Um, okay. Nonfiction is like an instructional manual kind of thing, and a Maybe business. Maybe no, like movie. Cool. Let's let's talk. I mean, a fictional movie that you could. They were. They say it's inspired. One that I saw not too long ago that I was really like the last movie that I watched, um, but really touched me was uh, "What Dreams May Come" by Robin Williams. Have you ever seen that? I have not. That's going on my list. Okay, uh, it, it has Robin Williams and Cuba Gooding Jr. in there. I honestly. I think it's the best movie that they've ever done, and I'm a really big Robin Williams fan. I like pretty, basically everything he does. I've never heard of this movie until it was shown to me by Christopher John Stubbs when we went out to Utah, and uh, it's an inspired movie um, about life after death or, you know, and stuff that's going on. It was a really good movie. Um, it talks about you know the way that we may portray things, the way that we may think things are, but maybe not the way that they really are. So, uh, what dreams may come, that's one that, that I would recommend seeing. Robert Robin Williams and Cuba Gooding Jr. Uh, so that's that's a fictional. Um, well, you, yeah, we'll just use that as a fictional, non-fictional. 
because I was either going to say that or a book uh, would be Of Mice and Men. I've just always been an Of Mice and Men uh, a fan. When I was in high school, I really liked that book. So, um, let's see. Non-fictional. I like a lot of uh, – because I go through phases. So, I like the documentaries, like – especially the last five or ten years the documentaries that they've made and put on on uh, netflix you know amazing. when it comes to the the war overseas you know and what's been going on just because i was in the marine corps um man you get out though and you start being opened up to other things and uh you start seeing that life like may not be what you've always had it portrayed to you so uh when i would say a non-fictional a non-fictional movie something real you know what, man? I I keep it simple. Um, whenever I watch something, like I'm trying to get my mind away from anything, even if it is real, I would say, you know what? I'm gonna say it's gonna be a uh, it's gonna be an actual series that's going on right now. Ball in the family. I like Ball in the family with Lavar Ball, Lonzo Ball, Jello and Mello, Tina. I'm a really big fan of Ball in the family. So uh, when it comes to like yeah, to reality TV or something that's real, um, that's one thing that I watch. And the reason that I do is because one, I have two boys, and Lavar has three sons. He's trying to get them into the NBA. They own their own brand, so they're not having to go out there and get signed. You know, even though Lonzo was a first round draft pick and went to the Lakers, he's not having to sign to Nike or sign over here for anybody else's endorsements to be told hey this is how you're going to talk and this is what you're going to do he owns big baller brand or his part owner in the big baller brand he has his own shoe has his own shoe line has his own clothing line they make their own money they put up pop-up shops and one thing that i really like about them there's they're smart as hell man because they don't have any overhead on these pop-up shops they go to somebody else's shop and say hey can we, you know, can we use your shop for the day? And people let them use their shop for the day because they know, like, hey, the balls come through here, and they're bringing a lot of publicity for my store. So they get to use somebody's store for a pop-up shop. They don't have any rent or any overhead, and they get people paying $125 to $195 per autograph, per autograph and, and per picture, just to get an endorse like $125 to $195. And people will pay because they built a brand and a following that wants to follow that. So uh, if you're talking about a non-fictional movie or series, that's what I would recommend you go out there and watch. Don't listen to what the media has told you about the balls. It's not true at all. If you watch this man in the documentary that he's put together behind the scenes with his family, and then what the media portrays of him, you're going to see it's two completely different things. I think it's insane, oh, and I really love it. I agree with you on that one. I mean, like, I'm a huge fan of the entire way that he does business and how he does this. Like, Lonzo Ball, in my opinion, I think the kind of the thing that he messed up on, and this is my only thing because I like him. Lonzo essentially had way too much pressure put on him way too early, but not by his dad, but by the media punters. Like, he would miss a ball and wait, hold on a second, the kid just got a triple double. And you're yeah. tell he, he's like the youngest kid that came close to a triple double, and then like six games later, does it? He did it, and yeah. then you're like, yeah, no, but look at those all his other stats. I'm like, Fair but enough, look but at it, the way he shoots the ball. It's like it doesn't matter. He made the triple double, man. Dude, you know, dude so is nineteen. Yeah, he's nineteen. Like LeBron changed his shot like ten years when he was twenty nine. Yeah, he should side change his shot then because of an elbow injury. This kid can actually easily do it. And and you got Magic Johnson endorsing this kid. You got Magic Johnson helping him out and stuff. And yeah. even uh, Steve Kerr said this when they played against uh, the Warriors. They're like, I don't get why everyone's saying Lonzo does not play well. When he plays against us, he makes every fucking shot. It's really annoying. Yeah. And it's like, 
this kid's got talent. Just don't pressure him, and he'll go out and do it. So I love that. Do you think that his brothers are going to be there with him? Do you think that that's something that they're going to make happen? Uh, I actually reckon his youngest brother is. Mello, I think, is going to play in Lithuania, and then he's going to play in the D-League for a little bit, and he's going to follow Seth Curry's footsteps. Not Steph. He's going to follow Seth Curry's, and he's going to play in the D-League for a little bit, get picked up, and then he's going to come back up to, to join his brother. So in the end, yeah, the dynasty of the three brothers playing for the Lakers will happen. Or You don't think Jello's going to do it? I think Jello... I think Jello and um, Lonzo are going to play together. Melo's going to end up playing on another team. I don't think he's going to sign to the Lakers. He might do, yeah. but I don't think he's going to get signed to the Lakers. And I, because I, I see it, man. I see it happen, and I'm like, oh, really? Like, all you got to do is they're just getting the attention they need. Like, they're getting the attention they need, and they know at the end of the day, it is about winning games, but it's also about these teams making money. Uh, and so, like, if these teams can make jersey sales because of these guys coming to their team, I'm telling you, like, jersey sales, uh, ticket sales, uh, viewings on, you know, ratings on TV. Like, this is what the entertainment industry is looking for, and I think I think Lavar's doing it right with with his kids, like. If you want him set up now, uh, there's going to be a lot of people that argue, like, was it a good move, him taking his son out of school? Uh, I say yes. I say yes because he knew what he wanted. And if he sat down with him, which I'm sure he did, and he said, hey, boys, like, what do you really want? Because if you really want, here's your options of what me as your daddy, I can lay out for you. I can help you mold this path over here, and I can help you mold this path there. So you can stay here playing for Chino Hills, and you can go over there to UCLA, and you can might try to make something at UCLA, you know, or we can go ahead and go get you some pro ball and try to get you paid right now, you know, because that's ultimately what you're doing. In my opinion, you can go back and get the school. Okay, You can go back, but you can't always turn pro again and take the the, the platform that they've got built with the brain they got built. It's like you had to do it. So, And I think that, that LeVar knows that really in this industry, especially with what they're doing, any type of, of publicity is going to be good publicity for them. So, uh, man, I think he's a marketing genius. Well, it's entirely like it's, the game is put asses on seats. That's basically what That's it, it is. I mean, like, my one of the guys that um, a lot of people don't like, and personally, I I kind of have a love-hate relationship with him, is Conor McGregor. Conor is the king of getting people riled up because he wants people to be asses on seats. And he, and he backs it up. That's the only difference between him and Chael Sonnen. Chael yeah. could back it up to a certain degree, but he went up against, like, Anderson <laughs> Silva, didn't do it. He went against John Jones, didn't do it. He went against blah, 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 didn't do it. I and agree now with you. you now you got Connor who's like, now I want to go up there and he'll fight. Granted, my beef with Connor is that like he uh, he essentially went up to lightweight, fought the light fought, in my opinion, no offense to Eddie Alvarez. Eddie, I've the utmost respect for Eddie Alvarez, but he was not the same Eddie Alvarez ten years ago that could take a punch like that and keep coming at you. Now, if you see Conor McGregor take on, say, a Tony Ferguson, Kevin Lee, or Khabib Nurmagomedov, you're going to have a hard time being Conor McGregor because they're going to just beat the shit out of you. Yeah. So, so, you know, he was smart in picking on who he went and how he built up the fight with Mayweather. So props to him and a genius like that. But I'd say the whole idea is getting asses on seats. If you can get asses yeah. on seats, you basically hold whatever industry you're in hostage to your whims. Absolutely, you hold the power. You hold the power, you know. And right now, Connor could pick his fight again because he went ten rounds with, with Mayweather, and that is, and I think he won a couple of those rounds too. He so did. to go ten rounds with Mayweather, win some of those rounds, and then kind of at one point in the, in the fight looked like he might have almost knocked him out had the ref not jumped in there in between them. Because uh, I'm I'm a fan of both of them. I love Mayweather for boxing. Don't really like him as a person. Agreed. Uh, just he's he's a great but, boxer. But yeah. oh, he is the I mean great. 
think when it comes to boxing. And I am I'm a Mayweather fan as well, or excuse me, a, a McGregor fan. Uh, you know, when it comes to fighting, same thing. I think he does some dumb stuff. You know, but I think that both of them are marketing geniuses. They both knew exactly what they were doing. Well, I was talking this with my wife last night. Man, if I was McGregor, and because you know they were sharing planes and stuff to go overseas, what you know what the reports were, allegations that they were sharing planes, and everything. I would have been doing the same thing. I'd been like, hey, bro, we're gonna act like we fucking hate each other, okay? And then when we get out there in the public, we hate each other. But guess what? Like, we're about to take home a hundred million apiece. Like, could you really be? I, I couldn't be mad at the other guy. Yeah. I'd be like, yeah, man, let's go out there and try to fight, knock each other out. But at the end of the day, like, we're about, we're about to make a hundred million dollars. So you know let's go money, out there and get the people what they want. Do you know how much money Connor took home at the end of the day? Like, post everything. How, how much? Two forty. He took over two hundred forty million total off that one fight. I mean, because of the endorsements and everything else that come behind that. Not uh, just that, public- he ran it through his own promotional company because McGregor pro- uh, Promotions was established for that one fight. Then he had the McGregor whiskey, then the McGregor clothing line, blah blah blah, and all this smart stuff. Smart on him, man. He invested yeah. his money like so smart on him. Yeah, which is really, really good because like he used to do this thing where he would get paid, spend all his money, fight again, get paid because it kept him hungry and then he was like, you know what, that's really dumb and he started investing, especially when he had his kid. Um, something I'll say this much about Connor is that he is like that 24-7, by the way. He's very switched on like all the time. He wants to go, 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 go. The, prob- the, the cool thing about him is that if he wins or if he loses, he's really humble. Yeah. And, he'll, and then he'll want to fight. Like if you tap him out, he wants to find out how you tapped him out so you can't tap him out again. So no one can tap him out from that position. Mm-hmm. It's like he adapts. He's very, very smart in that way. The person I think is probably like where you can see marketing, like the thing is when you're marketing yourself, you've got to be very wary about the pressures and someone that doesn't understand the pressures, it can go off the rails. Someone like John Jones, who I love, by the way, I still class him probably as the greatest MMA fighter of all time. I did too. It's a shame that what happened with him, man, or what he did to himself. Well, because he think, did, he did that himself. So. I think the last one was not his fault, but because of the priors, it's kind of like probable cause. And it's like yep. you know, it, you kind of have to take the good with the bad with him. But like prior to that, again, Anderson Silva, I'd say Anderson's probably the greatest middleweight champion of all time because the guy was a human highlight reel. But you have someone like John, who is literally, in my opinion, probably the greatest dude ever. Because like, this is a guy that again, Rogan talks about it all the time. But it's like, I just did cocaine last weekend. Came in here, you're the toughest dude in my division, and I beat the crap out of you for five rounds. Yeah. And then the rematch, I knocked you out. Like, you fought heavyweight monsters, and they couldn't knock you out. I knocked you out, because I can do exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah, like, the guy was an absolute beast. I, like I said, I think he came into it too quick. You know, and not, not too quick, because I really don't think that you can do things too quick, but I think for what his mind was prepared for... It, he didn't adjust his thermostat. He, yeah, he, man, he went from having nothing to just having everything overnight. And man, it, it's crazy because you think about it. Like I even think two, two, you know, two years ago in business versus now in business with the cash flow coming in and everything. That it's crazy to think that you could get to a point overnight to where you don't have to look at a price tag anymore. You don't have to look. You know, like oh, they cost uh, you know twenty thousand dollars. Cool. You know, ring it up. Cost five hundred dollars. Cool. Ring it up. Like it doesn't matter. So you get guys like that that go from nothing to something overnight, and they you're just not thinking about it. And man, like you saw with, with John, it just turns into a bad thing. He's hit, you know hitting runs and doing cocaine in the car and everything else. So it uh, it's, it's like, like I, I'm the same way as you though. I think he's a, he's an excellent fighter. Uh, probably the guy is smart. The guy the guy's a wild man, and the craziest thing is he'll find what your strength is and beat your ass with it. Yeah. Which is which is like the crazy like Cormier never got taken down. Who takes him down? John. 
He's like, you don't think you're going to kick me with that right leg again? And then he kicks him and knocks him out. He, or he's like, what, what did he say to him? He's like, don't think you're going to kick me in the right side of the head again and knock me out. And he did it too. He kicked him right in the side of the head. I was like, oh my God. Like this and guy. He like, you could actually see it. He was like measuring it out. He's conditioning to go, I'm going to go to the body. I'm going to go to the legs. And then occasionally I'll go to the head. And it's like, bam. It's like, oh shit. No, that actually hurt. Yep. And John's a beast like genuinely i think what's going to happen is him versus stipe miocic will happen for the heavyweight title because as much as i like Cormier, actually i don't like Cormier all that much i have like some weird i don't like that i think i think what it is is because it comes off fake people are like oh he's such a real dude i'm like dude he's really not because like on one hand he's like i'm a really nice guy blah 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 and then like you hear him trash this isn't the sport for being nice this isn't like people don't want to see you being nice they don't want to say hey how, how's it going we're gonna fight like no they want to get up in there and see somebody that's going to give them some entertainment because well, people like they watch that like they're already strung like oh you know so see, they don't want to see somebody being nice i see i disagree with that because here's the thing you have someone like um oh god there's this really nice mma fighter gsp no, George St. Pierre? GSP is one of them, but like you have someone that's like really humble, like Anderson. Anderson was always good with most of his opponents, but it wasn't him. I was talking, it was, it's, it thinks it's a lightweight or a featherweight. This dude would like every single press conference, he would like, he would put his hands up with his opponent, and what he would do is he would like bring cookies or like take selfies or do something funny with his opponent. His opponent would be like, oh shit, this is cool, I like that. Um, and he and he had like an amazing run in the UFC, but like uh, or even Cowboy, like Cowboy yeah, Cerrone. Cowboy Cerrone, yeah. He, he he doesn't like trash talk. He's just like, I'm gonna go in there and fight. Law is the same. I'm not going I don't have to talk shit. I'm just gonna go in there and fight. That's essentially what it is. But the thing with um, the thing that pisses a lot of people off with uh, DC, in my opinion, is the fact that DC is. I'm trying to be nice. But the moment the crowd isn't on my side, I'm going to bitch, moan, and cry about it. And then on top yeah. of that, I'm going to try and diss them and then, like, try and, like, be an asshole to my opponent. So like, you're trying to be everything at the same time. Pick one thing and be that, and everyone's going to love you. Exactly, and let the people follow you on that. Like, you, And then you you can't go, go against the people and your opponent at the same time. That's just a lose-lose situation for you. Definitely. I mean, like, one thing I found that's quite interesting was if he – when he fights Stipe, a lot of people are like, oh, Stipe – I'm like, look, dude, you don't understand. Stipe has knockout power at a short range. Cormier's only hope is to fight him in the short range because he can throw that dirty boxing. But you have a guy that literally can knock you out with almost a one-inch punch. Yeah. You have no fucking hope here, dude. You're going to yeah, try... Exactly. Like, I'm a dirty box shoot. You're going to get uppercutted to death by Stipe because he's taller than you and he's heavier than you. Yeah, that's exactly what's going to happen. And he's a Division and... One wrestler as well. He's like a wrestler himself. He knows what he's doing. And those guys just don't get tired too. You know, they just they just don't get tired when they're trying to take you down. They will do anything they can to take you down. It's crazy to watch a, a wrestler out there, you know, in his little zone of genius fighting because when when you get a wrestler, unless you can wear them down, you know, but you're just gonna have to let them wear their self down because they're. I feel like wrestlers they're hard headed uh, unless you can get somebody that that has trained wrestling. You know, but also like trains boxing or jujitsu at the same time. You know, then you can get somebody that's actually ready to sit back. He's got a lot of power and a lot of aggression, but you're channeling that in the right direction, man. If you can do that, you're unstoppable when it comes to business. I mean, that's, when it comes to, uh, to fighting. Well, and business as well. I mean, something that I actually said about earlier in the show was like one of the people I respect most are like those types of guys because their mental toughness is ridiculous. Like, um, mm -hmm. It, it, it's just like crazy like uh you just see what they can do and how they go about stuff so it's amazing but dude i might ask you my favorite two questions on the show real okay. quick because again we're coming up to that time so my first question is when you had your ass handed to you like i'm sure you've had it in your life where your confidence has been knocked down 
what did you do or tell yourself to get yourself back up so your confidence rose again? Because I think that's truly like the thing most people don't realize is the confidence does everything. All right. So, man, when that happens for me, uh, I think to myself, man, you, the first thing that I think of is, and it's sad, but I think of other people. Like, what are other people going to think if I keep on staying down this long? You know, so whether it have been, you know, because I've done MMA before, uh, which is cool, you know, talk about, or whether it be in life, uh, I don't, I can't stay down long because I just, I, I fear of what other people are going to think. You know, like, hey, this is an influencer right here. This is a, a business owner. Like, so you have people following you. You have people that are depending on you. You can't stay down long. So. Hey, what are other people thinking of me if I keep on staying down this long? Cool. Well, I already know I don't want to think about that, so let's get up and start moving the other direction. And two, what I think of is, yeah, man, it would be easy to stay down, but let's go ahead and think of what life is like when I'm down like this. And so I start thinking of, okay, I can live this easy life, but what are the perks that I don't get? What do I, what do I, what do I not get anymore because I decide to stay down? Because you can, you can get knocked down and decide to stay knocked down. You could throw in the white towel, or you can decide, okay. I don't like this feeling. I'm going to get up. It doesn't feel good getting up, but we're going to get up and we're going to finish this round. Or, hey, the fight's over. It's cool, but let's go retrain. Just like Connor does. I'll go back and watch the game film you know, or think about the game film in my mind multiple times. Why did I lose? What caused me to lose? And how could I not lose you know, next time? And uh, I think that if you can do that, you can just – if you can accept that losses are going to happen too, like we're not all – you know, Floyd Mayweather. We're not all going to be 50 and 0 or 51 and 0. Uh, we're going to lose at some point. So if you can accept that you will at some point lose, then and know that hey, losses are going to happen. But as long as I have more wins than I have losses, we're good to go. You know. So if you can accept that, I think that makes getting up easier as well because you just understand that it's going to happen. Yep, that's actually a big thing that a lot of people don't actually realize. Now, my other favorite question to ask on this, and by the way, the other thing that we're going to do, next time we're on this fucking call, we're going to just talk MMA and, like, stuff all the time because um, I used to fight pro as well, and I still okay. do Jiu-Jitsu, so fuck yeah, you know, we're going to have a conversation. Cool, man, and I got a, I got another uh, business owner that I want to send your way as well. His name is Lionel Turner, and he's the owner of Leo Optics, and uh, or Leo Optics over in uh, Southern California, and he, put, he owns – actually, I have a pair right here, so – Man, I'll give him a free shout out real quick. So Lionel owns Leo Optics right here, and uh, so he he builds his glasses based around uh, jujitsu. So I'm a white belt, so I have a white belt uh, pair of glasses. They're bamboo. I love these things, man. So you can that's you so can fucking cool, dude. You know, like, uh, yeah, white, purple, uh, brown, uh, and blue. What is it? What is it uh, so white, blue, yeah, blue brown, and black. And black. You know, yep. then you can get them with the tabs on there as well. So he oh, makes these so cool. of as well. That's so, uh, so badass, dude. Yeah, look that he, shit up. I'm down with that. Absolutely, man. He uh, he sponsors some fighters that are in the UFC uh, or trying to get over, you know, in in that way over in Southern California. He'd be an awesome guy to talk to as well. Oh, on the fuck yeah, he dude. loves MMA, loves Joe Rogan, you know, follows the podcast and everything. That's pretty cool, dude. I'm totally down for having him on. Um, okay, so my last question, real quick, before we head off. Um, so, if you were to give three quick tips based on to like business owners that are struggling or just kind of hitting that plateau, what three things would you tell them to do, like right now? Okay. First three things I'll tell you to do. Uh, one, don't give up. Um, 99% of people give up. And I don't know if that's a real stat, but I just know that from what I've seen in business, everybody, 
that you, I started out with, most of the people are not still here. The ones that are still here are the ones that were the same as me when we first started up. They were struggling. They didn't know what they were doing. They didn't really know what direction they were in or going in. They just knew that we were doing business. And so I do know that if you just decide, hey, I'm not going to give up. If you'll just be hard-headed, you, that's a recipe for eventually you make all the wrong decisions and you have no choice but to make all the right ones. And so you can – as long as you're not going to give up, you're going to win eventually. Um, second one, I would say stay within your zone of genius. If you're not in your zone of genius, you're wasting your time. See, we like to do uh, things that we know we need to get done in business, but we're not willing to stay within my zone of genius. So my zone of genius, sales, marketing, talking to people, getting on the phone. Like I do sales. I do marketing, do Facebook videos, pictures, like that's my zone of genius. So if I go over here and try to start uploading products for my company, that's not my zone of genius. That's not where I work best in. I actually will hurt the company or the projections of what I should be doing more by trying to help out in other areas that's not that I'm not good at than if I was just to stay in my lane. So one thing that I'm good at and I tell people that, look, this is your job. This is what you're supposed to do. Stay in your lane. You do this. Bonnie knows that she has a certain amount of responsibilities and certain type of responsibilities that she does and she stays in her lane. I stay over in my lane and we keep good communication there. So if you keep good communication and will stay in your own lane uh, as long as not giving up, those are the two things that are going to be great for you as well. Uh, and three, like I said, making sure that you have a strong team around you because you can't do everything by yourself. You're not as important as you think you are. And that's one thing that I had to learn this last year is that Ryan is not as important as he thinks he is. I can't do all these jobs in this company. If I do, I can accept two things. One, I will go out of business because people will get tired uh, of my crap and having you know to wait on Ryan to do everything. Or two, I can count that I'm going to max out and peak at a certain level and I'm not going to make any more money. And just as soon as you get to the point where you peak, you can't just keep on peaking and, and go sideways. You eventually will go down as well. So uh, along with that is making sure that you're always doing something to keep on increasing profit, increasing margins, increasing strength, whatever you're doing. Because if you if you say, oh, we're good enough and this is what we want to do, you will eventually go down. So always keep moving forward. Agree. That is fucking awesome. Guys, listen to that shit. Go check out Ryan's site, wholesaleuniversepage.com. That's correct. Hit him up on social media. The dude's fucking awesome. And dude, so happy that we got to do this. And thank you for taking the time today. Absolutely. Guys, I'll see you on the next episode of Battle of Marcy Unplugged. Remember to uh, rate this episode, uh, comment underneath, and subscribe. Because again, that's how we basically got our people in on board. Ryan, it's been an absolute pleasure. It's been a pleasure being here. Take care, guys. See ya. Bye.